This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yep, that's me, and this is indeed Radio Parallax. Widely acclaimed as one of America's finest weekly radio programs. I mean, everybody north of the 36th Street intersection on San Antonio Way in Sacramento thinks so. And I know there's pockets of fans in Davis and Chico as well. Not to mention Croatia, Hong Kong, the north of England, Australia, Vanuatu, and probably a whole bunch of other places as well. We'd like to think we have more nations involved in our coalition of the willing than went into Iraq on the second go-around under George W. Bush. But we're not sure. Anyway, welcome to today's program. We're going to hopefully be joined by some of our old pals before this hour is up. And it was a busy day in world history, so let's address that, as we like to do every week with On This Date in History. The date in question today, the 24th of January. It was on January 24th in 1848 that a millwright named James Marshall discovered gold up on the banks of the American River at Sutter's Mill. As it happened, nine days later, Mexico ceded California to the U.S. as part of the spoils of the Mexican War, and thus the gold rush was on. And speaking of the 49ers, uh, our congratulations to the men in red for their advancing to the Super Bowl to take place this year on February 3rd. On this date in 1936, American clarinetist and bandleader Benny Goodman recorded his hit, Stompin' at the Savoy. Mr. Merlin, I think I know what our bumper music is going to be for this segment. On this date in 1943, during World War II, German General Friedrich von Paulus, commander of the German 6th Army at Stalingrad, requested permission from Adolf Hitler to surrender his position. Hitler refuses. Paulus then surrendered a week later anyway, having lost more than half of his 280,000 men. This marked the turning point of World War II. Speaking of World War II, on this date in 1965, Sir Winston Churchill, the British leader who guided Great Britain and the Allies through the crisis of World War II, died in London at the age of 90. And still speaking of World War II, seven years later on this date, in 1972, farmers in Guam discovered Shiochi Yokoi, a Japanese sergeant who had spent 28 years in hiding, unaware that World War II had ended. When he returned home to Japan, he got a hero's welcome, got married, and returned to Guam for his honeymoon. We'd have thought he had quite enough of Guam by then, but I guess not. And as we alluded to on this program some weeks back, on this date in 1986, the Voyager 2 space probe flew past Uranus. It flew past at close range and discovered new moons and sent back pictures to the U.S. Unfortunately for observers here back on the home planet, the clouds of Uranus at that time were extremely uninteresting since the pole of the planet was pointed at the sun. We should note that 40 years ago, this week, an awful lot happened. The Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade overturned state bans on abortion. That was on January 22nd. And on that same date, former U.S. President Lyndon Baines Johnson died at age 64 in Texas. The following day, U.S. President Richard Nixon announced that a peace accord had been reached in Vietnam, January 23, 1973. 
Oh, and also on the 22nd, George Foreman defeated Joe Frazier to win the heavyweight world boxing championship. And I guess our quote of the day, emeritus, relative to that, would be... Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! The immortal Howard Cosell calling the fight. Our quote of the day, which again was forwarded to us by Gary Chu. It comes from a woman standing before a blackboard, obviously a teacher. And the quote is, The same people who called me a union thug want me to carry a gun in school? Thank you, Mr. Chu. Our quips of the day, and we have four, courtesy of a Christmas present to moi from the Valentino family of Chico, California, are as follows. Oh, and by the way, these all come from Uncle John's Political Briefs, a new volume from the Bathroom Readers Institute. First from Thomas Jefferson. Whenever a man has cast a longing eye on office, a rottenness begins in his conduct. And one of our oldest quotes we've ever used, and we have used it before, but it's worth using again, comes from Pericles, which was, just because you do not take an interest in politics doesn't mean politicians won't take an interest in you. Third one from Oscar Ameringer. Politics is the gentle art of getting votes from the poor and campaign funds from the rich by promising to protect each from the other. And lastly, fourth quip of the day from Bill Stern. Our elections are free. It's in the results where we eventually pay. And we fully expect in the year to come to have many contributions to this show from that little volume. All right, and our joke of the day also comes from that week 40 years ago, during which time President Johnson passed on and the Vietnam War Accords were reached. The joke would be the caption that appeared in the National Lampoon magazine the month after those two events took place. Someone among the astoundingly talented bunch of editors they had working on the Lampoon in the early 70s presented a photo of a bunch of North Vietnamese sitting around the conference table. The voice bubble attached to the leader said, All right, all right, we'll sign. But first, someone's got to take care of that son of a bitch Johnson. And by the way, the opinion that that is a funny caption <laughs> is that of the host alone does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Or for that matter, the Republic of Vietnam. But uh, 40 years later, it still does make me chuckle. Yes, it's black humor, but unlike a lot of black humor you see today, there's actual humor involved in this one. Anyway, to lighten the load on our joke of the day, I think I will uh, quote from the writers for Conan O'Brien, who said last week, A health advocacy group has criticized the Cheesecake Factory for offering meals that contain over 3,000 calories. Today, the CEO of the Cheesecake Factory said, What part of Factory of Cheese and Cake... Don't you understand? All right, our stats today come from the Washington Post slash ABC News poll, which shows that 88% of Americans support requiring background checks on people buying guns at gun shows. 65% support banning high-capacity ammunition clips. And 58% support a ban on assault weapons. But while this does represent quite a sanity gap between uh, the opinions of the public and that of the NRA. The poll also unfortunately showed that Americans support a law requiring an armed guard at every school in the nation by a 55 to 42% margin. 
which is... And yeah, I did the disclaimer once already. Now to jump ahead to the Only in America file, we have currently in Florida a roundup of Burmese pythons taking place, which appears to be mostly publicity stunt. But uh, the serious issue of invasive species uh, is something we've talked about in this program before and we'll no doubt talk about again. But the idea that you could go into a pet store and buy a Burmese python, a snake which out in the wild can be a man-eater, it seemed like kind of a bad idea, don't you think? And I think I'll just quote from uh, Newsweek magazine from last February. Once discarded as unwanted pets, giant Burmese pythons are now eating their way through the Florida Everglades. To assess the snake's impact, scientists compared roadside sightings of small mammals from 1996 and 1997 with sightings over the last eight years when the python numbers have boomed. Deer, 6.8 per thousand kilometers then, 0.4 now. Rabbits, 0.9 per thousand kilometers then, zero now. Foxes, 1.8 then, zero now. Raccoons, 27.9 per thousand kilometers then, 0.2 now. Possums, 8.9 then, 0.1 now. And finally, bobcats, 0.8 per thousand kilometers then, 0.1 now. Okay, do you think allowing pet stores to sell Burmese pythons just may have been one of the dumbest ideas ever? Pet stores were also permitted to sell stonefish, a poisonous type of fish from uh, the Indian Ocean, which were then let go into the Atlantic where they (laughs) they now have taken up residence. I'm just glad that uh, the free market mentality carried to its illogical extremes didn't allow us to walk into PetSmart and buy, say, a King Cobra a few years ago. Anyway, I'm sure that uh, Miami resident Dave Barry had some things to say about the Python Roundup. We'll have to look those up and see if we can't quote him on next week's show. NPR had him on last week, and he wasn't all that funny, but I'm sure once he catches his breath, he'll have some amusing comments to make. Anyway, let's, let's jump ahead here to the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for putting in your two cents after Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas finally broke a seven-year silence at oral arguments to crack a joke, sort of. I can't believe the play this has gotten the media. Uh, Apparently because several other justices were also talking at the same time, the official court transcript only quotes Thomas as saying, well, he did not, followed by laughter. What amazes me is that the first President Bush apparently decided that Antonin Scalia needed to get a second vote in the Supreme Court. And in that, uh, the nation was presented with a fine ventriloquist dummy, Clarence Thomas, who uh, doesn't talk much, but does get to vote on the Supreme Court decisions, usually in the same exact way that Antonin Scalia does. Of course, I do want to note, as regards the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, I was relieved when looking up uh, while working out in the gym to see on the 22nd uh, 
some footage of Mitt Romney, accompanied by some quotes about how he intended to appoint some people to the Supreme Court that were going to observe the law of the land and see what they could do to reverse Roe v. Wade. Which point I would note that uh, I'm personally very glad he's now working for the Marriott Hotel chain, fluffing pillows. And I guess putting those little chocolates on top of the bedspread. Anyway, moving right along, it was a bad week last week for Oxygen Media. After public disgust prompted the cable TV network to pull a new reality TV show, which was to be called All My Babies Mamas, about a rap artist who has 11 children with 10 women. And I have to pause right there to note that this week, to observe the inauguration of a black man as President of the United States happening on Martin Luther King's holiday made me realize that in the civil rights battle, progress has been made over the past few decades. Now let's just hope they get the word over at Oxygen Media. All my babies' mamas would not have been a good show. And finally, in one of the more remarkable items ever to appear, perhaps in the good, the bad, and the ugly, the 10 years we've been doing it, comes the fact that it was surely an ugly week last week for following instructions to the letter with the report in the news that, a, that an allegedly faulty car navigation system sent a Belgian woman on a 1,800-mile detour through six countries. Reportedly, Sabina Moreau, age 67, had intended to drive 93 miles in Brussels, but ended up in Croatia. She was quoted as saying, Suddenly, I appeared in Zagreb, and I realized I wasn't in Belgium anymore. Now, we have to interject at this point. There is a certain stereotype out there that men refuse under all circumstances to ask for directions. And uh, apparently that flaw is not confined to uh, the male sex. According to the web report that we could not resist pulling up, Moreau admitted to El Mundo's Brussels correspondent, I was distracted, so I kept going. I saw all kinds of signs, first in French, then in German, and finally in Croatian. But I continued driving because I was distracted. Oh, and the friend she was supposed to pick up found other transportation to her house. Moreau's son had reported his mom missing the local police who tracked her down by following her bank statements. Moreau told La Nouvelle Gazette, when I passed Zagreb, I told myself I should turn around. Now, as a public service announcement, we would note that GPS systems, like all systems, can be prone to errors. And if your GPS system tells you, like it did last March to three Japanese tourists vacationing in Australia, to just forego roads and drive directly through Morton Bay to reach an island, well, doggone it, don't do it. Or you might find yourself, like the three Japanese tourists, stuck in several feet of water. Ms. McMillan points out that if, in driving, your road signs change the national language during your 93-mile envisioned voyage, well, it may be time to stop and ask directions. It's hard to know what to make of these stories. The LA Times last year reported that a man drove right into an Alaska harbor after claiming his GPS told him to turn right. So he went down the launch ramp and into the water. 
course, uh, a sidelight to this story is the fact that you can now drive around in Europe and not have to pass through international borders. I caught a show with Rick Steves riding on some German uh, bullet trains, uh, describing that very fact, how these days you just basically blow from one country to the next. There's not a whole lot of rigmarole and uh, paperwork needed, passport stamping, etc., etc., which is a good thing. Also on television this week, we hope you caught The Frontline on Tuesday night, titled The Untouchables. I like the subtitle that went along with the program better, which was uh, Too Big to Jail? Question mark. The excellent hour-long special noted that though fraudulent practices at banks contributed to America's financial meltdown to date, no Wall Street titan has been convicted of a crime connected to the crisis. Frontline asked why. If you haven't seen this particular program, dear listener, I would say it is well worth your while to check it out. They showed how President Obama made noise about how there was going to be some tougher fraud standards and some people were going to be held accountable, but it just never happened. Oh, it's true that there's been two or 3,000 uh, uh, prosecuted mortgage originators in this country, the people that drew up fraudulent, phony baloney uh, documents to put people who had no income into mortgages. But um, the fact that Wall Street was driving this whole operation because they knew that once they obtained these mortgages, they would repackage them and sell them to bigger fools. Well, that's where the part about lack of accountability comes in. This documentary is worth seeing, if for no other reason than uh, the descriptions of the due diligence underwriters, which were hired by Wall Street uh, and the big banks to supposedly examine the loan pools that they were buying. And how these so-called underwriters would just simply laugh over the preposterousness over the mortgages that were being drawn up. Uh, A waitress would state that she had a $12,000 a month income. One of these hired underwriters would point this out to an overseer who would look at it and say, well, looks good to me. And everybody would laugh. They were told that fraud was basically the F word. It didn't get used. They might be allowed to say that some of this information looks incorrect, But uh, basically, nobody got turned down. It's a national disgrace. Someone should have been held accountable. Nobody has been. What shall we do about this now? It's certainly not too late to to throw some of these people in the slammer where they belong. Of course, Bernie Madoff, who's not hooked up with uh, Goldman Sachs or Lehman Brothers or anybody else running his own rogue operation Ponzi scheme, he's behind bars. But there was an earlier special on TV, which I don't believe was on uh, on PBS, about Madoff and his capers that showed some of his victims describing how when they went to the SEC, who had just got done investigating Bernie Madoff, to, to ask about the questionable nature of uh, what he was up to, one woman on camera reported that the SEC said to her, oh, you're lucky that he's managing your money. No, what he's doing, what he's doing looks good. Anyway, we'll have more to say about that in 2013, since the problem has not even been addressed properly. Of course, I wonder at this point if uh, among those volumes of the world's shortest books, we shouldn't include uh, these days American business ethics. I plucked an item out of The Motley Fool, uh, which is generally a humorous column which appears in the business section. But uh, even these guys I wonder about, such as in this Q&A from a writer in Connecticut who said, I sold my Walmart stock on someone's recommendation. There was this scandal in Mexico, and all of a sudden the thinking on the stock went from buy to sell. 
Of course, a huge company like Walmart isn't going to collapse on a little political thing. And here it is a few months later, selling for more than what it was when I sold it. Answered the motley fool. This past spring, Walmart was hit with allegations of spending millions on bribery in Mexico. In November, the company disclosed that its internal investigations were looking into bribery cases in Brazil, China, and India, along with Mexico. It's not good news, but it's not likely to shut the company down either, especially if the company is seen as dealing well with the problem. When a company you own encounters trouble, determine whether it's a short-term addressable problem or a truly vexing long-term problem. Sell on the latter, but consider hanging on with the former. Nice. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Do not go away.